Hey guys, real quick before we get started, um, if you're liking the content, the best way for for it to spread to other people like us to grow this rehab chiropractic community is to rate, review, and subscribe. Share the podcast with people that uh, you know who you think the information is valuable. Also, we have officially started our vlog where basically you get to see me go inside of my clients' practices and do in-services talking about different aspects of the rehab chiropractic practice. So we have, uh, at the time of this recording, two vlogs that are live, uh, and they are both actually at Dr. Matt Clay's practice, who is the person we interviewed. So our YouTube channel is JR Coaching. Uh, please subscribe to that. I'm hoping over time that we can add more videos that are kind of going to provide you value, um, potentially your staff value. And we're just going to help to move this rehab chiropractic profession down the line, take it from where it's been, which is nowhere to where we want it to go. So as always, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the business school for the rehab chiropractor. Class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. All right, we have our next special guest, Dr. Matt Clay. How are you today? I'm good, man. Good, man. So tell me a little bit about or tell the audience about yourself. Who are you? Where you're from? Where do you practice? Uh, so like you said, my name's Matt Clay, chiropractor in Sterling, Virginia. Um, graduated chiropractic college, same one you went to, just a few tries ahead of you back in 2011. Um, I've always worked in Loudoun County, so... Before I started my practice, I worked at three separate uh, chiropractic offices in and around Loudoun County Mm -hmm. and opened my own about two and a half years ago now. So take us back to when you were an associate. As I'm doing more of this coaching, I'm meeting a lot of students and obviously they talk about associateships and should I do it? Should I not? Um, I guess once you were an associate at three different places, what was the moment when you finally decided like, I wanted to do my own thing. You know, to be honest with you, I would say probably after the first uh, associateship that I had right outside of school, I worked at a practice that um, there was actually like seven locations between Virginia and Maryland. Um, the, you know, the issue that I had there was I kind of got moved into a clinic director role like right outside of school. Um, and I was taken through, you know, like their systems, their training protocol, stuff like that. It just didn't really work for me at the time. Um, partly maybe because at the time I just wasn't ready to run a clinic, uh, given like the skill set that I had. And so when I left there, I actually went to a, another practice where technically I was like an independent contractor. So I was kind of free to do my own thing. Um, but again, you know, I didn't really have the skill set in, in terms of like, you know, how to generate patients, how to make relationships with people outside of the business to, um, help me funnel in like a patient base and a following and stuff like that. I would still do, 
talks and still go to events, but with, you know, what I've learned really with doing the seminars and stuff like that, just over the last couple of months, I definitely wasn't getting across the message that I am now because, you know, I'd get, you know, maybe like one or two people out of those things. And more often than not, they'd only come in a handful of times. And now uh, I can get anywhere between like six to 10 people signing up for at least like a discovery visit. And more often than not, those people are um, signing up for plans of care. Good. So, you know, one of the, one of the false beliefs I think that we often have is we get out into practice and we get advice in school that says, just go and just go and do talks. You got to do talks. It's like, all right, I'll go and do talks. But what you're saying, it sounds like is that, yeah, that's good, but not good enough. So take me a little bit inside of that and maybe share to the audience what you've learned since joining the program or over the years of, you know, okay, I'm still doing the talks, but what, what is different now? Or what advice would you have for somebody that is just doing talks and not getting results? Yeah. Um, it's actually learned a lot, to be honest with you. Um, when, when I started, even at my first associateship, you know, because it was a bigger, um, a bigger practice, they actually had marketing people that would set up like lunches with, um, you know, other medical providers. So orthopedic clinics, uh, clinics, general practitioners, things like that. But again, you know, you were just really um, reviewing case studies of patients that they've sent you. And more often than not, you know, those people have like referral slips from 20 other practices, like in the area. Um, and obviously like a lot of them are all in network. So that didn't really give me the skills or tools to like go out and do talks or do seminars. Um, so when I left there and became an independent contractor and was doing it on my own, um, you know, it was very trying to just like dump as much information down these people's throats as I could about why they should come see me over somebody else, or if they are dealing with an injury, why, you know, I might be a better option than, than somebody down the road, but not really um, educate them as to where the, where the value is and why I might be uh, a more unique solution than, you know, and like the 10 other chiros or the 10 other PTs in the area. Gotcha. So, yeah. So with, with what I've learned since we've been working together is is really just how to control the the conversation and the message that I'm trying to to get across to them a lot better. Where you know, sure they could go on you know YouTube and and look up you know exercises for back pain or rehab exercises for their shoulder, but you know more often than not, if they're going somewhere else, they're doing some kind of exercise, maybe like that, but they're, maybe they don't get them out in the weight room or maybe they don't expose them to a movement or an activity that they readily do as part of their like exercise program or, or daily workout routine. Um, and being able to, being able to kind of like paint a picture and, and create a story around that. So again, they can kind of see themselves in, and what I do and how I might be able to help them has really been the biggest thing that I've taken away because being able to tell those stories to 
potential patients, in my opinion, is what's made the biggest difference. Yeah, and, and I think the thing you mentioned that we should talk about is you mentioned the gym and you mentioned the exercise, you mentioned all the rehab stuff, and that's all the stuff as a, as a rehab Cairo that kind of gets us jazzed up. The problem is if we don't know how to actually get the people in the door or communicate them well enough to give us a chance to actually fix the problem, we'll never get to the point of being able to do what we want to do. Think about, you know, you know what you just said when you started, um, well, I would get them to come in for a couple sessions. Well, you're not progressing anyone in the gym or with PRI or DNS or any of the things that we talk about that we really like to do. Our patients are not giving us the chance to do that unless they're going to be there. And if they don't have a reason to be there and they think it's expensive and they think it's a waste of time and they want to use their insurance, well, nobody's happy at that point. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, so you did, so you did, I think the other part too, which unfortunately, I think a lot of us graduate school and I, I, people ask me, should they do an associateship? And I say, the answer is yes, you should. However, I understand that there are not a lot of great associateships out there, which is sort of the mission of, of the Rehab Cairo Mastermind is to help people build businesses to the point that they can actually hire and bring on associates and have a good environment for them to practice in. So the re one of the reasons why I say that is because I think what you just said, right? You went to a practice and you sort of were thrust into a clinic director role and who knows, it might've actually been a good role. It's just not, you weren't ready for it yet. I'd imagine Matt Clay today would have been a hell of a better clinic director than Matt Clay in 2011, just because you had to get out of school. You had to get your feet wet. You had to start seeing patients. You had to figure out what the heck you were doing. Life was changing. And then to also go and direct a clinic of any capacity is, is uh, absolutely, it's kind of insanity to be honest with you. You know, I think it's a little bit different too. Most chiros, there, there aren't that many clinic director roles out there. It's more of like a PT thing. So you sort of experience what happens to a lot of physical therapists that graduate school. It's like they get a job and then very quickly someone quits and it's like, you're in charge. And it's like, well, I'm not, I am not ready for this. You don't pay me enough to do this. And I'm working significantly more hours. And the problem really is in their world that that's it. They're capping out. That's kind of the end goal for them. So obviously in our world, most people open their own practice, which, which I think is a little bit different. So let's fast forward. So you get in your own practice about two years ago, and um, you didn't reach out to me two years ago, but about a year and a half. And we had talked over the years, but the thing you reached out to me for actually originally was to do Google ads, right? Because obviously like most people, you get into practice, you get going and it's decent. And then we all think the first thing we have to get is more new patients. And so Google ads is a strategy. And obviously we have an agency that we help practices. Um, but I remember telling you like, basically, no, I won't do Google ads for you. Do you remember, but talk, talk to the audience. Why? Well, I mean, where I was at at that point, when I first reached out to you guys, um, not that the practice wasn't doing well, but, um, you know, kind of like what you've talked about and what we talked about on our weekly calls is that we always think that we need more new patients or more people coming into the office. And um, I certainly don't feel like that's the case anymore. But, um, you know, when we were taught, when we had our, our first conversation, um, you were basically explaining that if I were to do like Google ads, I just I wouldn't have had the skill set at that point to convert those people to, you know, potential discovery visits. And then from a discovery visit to a plan of care, 
Um, cause what I'm used to currently is just ref- like word of mouth and referrals. So those are obviously easier people to convert because they're getting, you know, feedback from either current patients, uh, friends and family that you worked with. And there's been trust that's been built up along there. And if somebody's referring you somewhere more often than not, they're going to, um, book a plan of care, or at least book a discovery session to come in and see what all the hype's about. Um, but when you get somebody calling in just because they scrolled through Google and your name popped up first or second, uh, those can be a lot harder to convert to. And the conversations you would have to have are going to be totally different than at that point in time, what I was used to, what I was used to talking with new patients about. Yeah. And it's a great point because so many people don't recognize it. Obviously I didn't know it either until we started to do it. You know, we live in a digital age now. And so especially the students coming out, they're even more into the digital digital age than we are. And the problem is they sort of think that if we can turn on and not they, that's all people, they think they can just sort of press a button, turn on Google and new patients are going to show up. And what we don't understand is, is where, who these customers are, right? Most practices get started and get built on referrals, which is good. And the, and we should always have a referral stream, but referrals are very warm, right? Because like you said, my aunt told me about you. She trusts you. So I trust you. Great. That's amazing. But in this case, someone like Google, exactly how you described it, they are going to find you on Google. They don't know you for from anybody down the street. And then you're going to get them on the phone and you don't take their insurance and you're more expensive and you're doing this rehab thing and all this different, none of the trust that is necessary is built in. And the, the problem with that is that we would get Google going. It would start to work, AKA you'd get leads. And then you would call us and say, Google stinks because the patients are bad. The people calling are bad patients. And we say, no, 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 that's not true. It's that we right now don't have the skills to be able to have conversations with these people in a way to get them across the line. It's a very different thing. And I think if people want to go into that game of doing digital marketing, right, and of Facebook, even harder than Google, Google SEO, they have to understand the game that they're playing. And so even and to the next step too, the part that people don't recognize with Google and digital is that it's not the fantasy land is that you call some, they call you, you get them on the phone, you take the information, they come in and write you a check. It doesn't work that way. People opt into things, they, they click on things, and then you call them and they don't pick up. And then you email them, they don't get back. And then they call you and you're busy. And it's like this phone tag game. And this is just how the game works. It's not just call you, come in. That doesn't work that way. And so one of the things I encouraged you in which, you, which you've you know, taken the steps to now do that is to start hiring, you know, admin sales help, because if you're seeing patients 15, 20, 30 hours a week, and we did run Google ads and these people call, well, if they call and you can't answer the phone, well, that's a problem. Now we're wasting money. And, and for me, you know, when we, you and I spoke and I've had this conversation a few times with people is if the the biggest problem I have with doing Google ads for somebody is it actually works just happened with us. We just, we just launched somebody. I was very hesitant to launch an established practice. Um, and so they want us to do Google ads and I was very hesitant because they didn't have a, a backend. They didn't have a follow-up system. They didn't have an email system. They didn't have a nurture system and they didn't have an admin. They, they assured us that they were going to get an admin. So we launched their Google ads. Guess what? It started to work. Well, guess what? The admin they hired didn't work. And so they called, they emailed us last week and asked us to turn off Google ads. 
it's like, man, it's like, that's a lot of money that they spent with us, not only for our service, but also for the Google ads separate than that thousands of dollars. And now we're just turning it off. And that's a thousand, four, five, six, seven thousand all in investment over the course of a few months that we're just kind of going to scrap. And so for me, you know, where we brought, where we brought you into the mastermind program was to say, Hey, like, let's teach you the business skills so that at some point, if you want to go and invest in Google, we're actually giving it a shot to work. So it's a very different approach. Now, most people want, like they want the Google, they want the Facebook because they think quickly it's going to work. And again, that's just not the reality of the situation, but you sort of, I think, saw that saw that very quickly. So let's go in and, and so you've been in practice over 10 years now and um, you know, you're successful in your practice and it was going well, but talk about, you know, one of your biggest takeaways or biggest lessons that you've learned since joining the program. So old dogs can learn new tricks. Wow. Thanks bud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I could boil it down to just one thing. Um, Shit. I guess if I had to, I would definitely say like how I communicate with patients now, um, where before it was more, you know, if you want to call it like scarcity mindset, um, I think I would try to like just overwhelm them with facts and somehow they think that's going to provide them value when, you know, knowing what I know now, they probably only took in maybe a fraction of what I said. And honestly, just having genuine conversations with people is, is the biggest thing that I've taken away from that because I mean, um, I can, know I pause, you can I pause you there? Yeah. You're, you're, I know you, you're a genuine guy. And so when you say genuine conversations, I guess what's different, right? Because you're naturally have genuine conversations. So what changed, of when you say that, what, what does that mean to you now versus before? I mean, it's for me, um, instead of like, if I'm, you know, doing a DV with somebody, what I would do in the past is almost like cut them off and, and try to like either disprove something that somebody else said, or, you know, well, have you seen this latest research study? Um, now it's it's listening more to what they're saying and picking up on certain things that I feel like if I address that or if it's a word or a phrase um, in a different manner, in a more genuine manner, and ask them what that means to them, the conversation just takes a completely different turn. Instead of me trying to control it, the conversation is more, the ball's more in their court. And I think they respect that because I'm actually listening to them and not just trying to like spew a bunch of facts at them. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you know, when we talk about sales here, I, I always say it's about listening, asking better questions and having empathy. And so that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Rather than spitting out facts and interrupting them and telling you what you know, yeah. sales is more of listening and, and hearing where someone's at and then potentially being able to help or solve their problem. Right. right. Um, so what would you say since starting with us? Cause you've been with us almost not coming up on a year, eight months. Uh, what are some of the biggest wins you've had in your practice? And it's a tough one as well. I mean, I don't want to sound shallow and sound like the revenue is better, 
Well, um, that usually helps because when you make more money, typically things go well. You, but I, I guess it's a, it's a. I'm, I'm sort of joking, but not really, right? Because you should be shallow. Because the only way, going back, we decided to do this program. One of the things that I've recognized about my mission here is to help others grow their business to the point that they can eventually help give opportunities to other rehab chiros coming out of chiro school. Because as I just spent time in Cairo schools, they want to know if they should get an associateship or a job. And I say, get an associateship, except there aren't any good ones out there. So that's a problem. Yeah. Well, guess what? The only way that you can afford to hire an associate is if you have money. And again, right. I think that's where sometimes you just have to be rational with it. It isn't shallow. Now, if you take the money and go spend it on hookers, well, yeah, I guess that is shallow. But if you take that money and go reinvest it in the business or maybe not, you go take it and use it with your family. Fine. That's why we're doing it too. But yeah. none of that hiring an associate, taking your wife out to dinner, but going on a vacation, buying a house, reinvesting in your practice. We'll talk about the golf thing in a while. None of that happens without money. Right. So a big win. Yes. Is having money. Money actually is not evil. Yeah. Used correctly. It's one of the best tools ever invented. So right. money is a good thing. So yes. Yeah. Making more money is good. Yeah, the revenue is great. Um, I know we had, you know, we actually just got off a weekly call and um, one of the guys was saying that like his was doubled since, you know, same quarter last year. I think mine has actually like tripled since last year where I was at first quarter. Um, And honestly, it's just having the freedom to do what you want to do. You know, one of the things that I think it was like one of the first or second calls that we had together um, you know, you said, um, I think it was when you were at like a DNS course and Brett Winchester mentioned, and he's like a big, you know, role model of mine, obviously, cause I've taken, um, all like all, if not one, like DNS course that, uh, even in his opinion, like there's still more that's left on the table that we can do as and call it like rehab chiros or whatever the phrase is that there's still a lot left on the table that we're not doing. Um, and I know if I was in like an, an insurance setting, or even if I was at like one of the associateships that I had before, I wouldn't be able to do what I can do now for patients just provided I wouldn't have the time. And I was almost like a little bit handcuffed to what I couldn't, couldn't do. Right. And so, you know, cause when you started your practice, I'd imagine, well, most of us don't really know, but I know based on, it was more about having the freedom to practice how you wanted. And for most of us, we start that way. And then I think we just sort of hope that the business takes care of itself. Um, But most of us, myself included, we get into it and recognize that that isn't always the case. And, um, you know, you mentioned sort of that, that freedom and you kind of left on the table even more things and you're doing a lot already with all the, all the treatment techniques that you're doing. But Mm. I've always said my job is as essentially is just to help help people build the business so that they can have the freedom to actually do the things that they want to do. You know, if you're spending 10 minutes with someone, that's fine. If you do, I I don't, I legitimately don't have a problem, but if you don't want to, and you want to spend an hour, well, we've got to actually figure out how to, how to build a business around that. Uh, You know, people, I always say to people, I'm not, it's hard to, you. It's hard, I'm generally not easy to argue with because I don't typically tell you what to do. I'll give suggestions. But if you want to spend an hour with someone, that's fine. 
But if we want to make this business work, there's certain decisions that have to be made. You can't spend an hour with someone and do all the things that I know you do, but act like and but charge the same as the guy spending 15 minutes. Now that is that's a fact. We we if we don't agree on that, then we're not going to be able to work together. But if we decide we want to spend an hour, great. We just have to figure out a charge for it. You might tell me you want to spend two hours with someone. Fine. Here's the decisions that have to be made. Here's the skill sets that you have to have in order to actually build the business. Because the two things have to work in synchrony. They have to. You have to have the business skills and you have to have the uh, the clinical skills. But when one overshadows the other, and in our world, it's always clinical skills, and we just forget the business. We just end up in 20 years of just unhappiness and misery. And the crazy part for you is that you've tripled your revenue. And for it to triple again, my next year is actually not a crazy thought, and you can still do it, but, uh, not and without doing that much more. And so, when we start looking at that, it's just a, a few small little tweaks. And so, let's talk about that. What are some of the changes that you've made? I know you mentioned the communication, um, but you know, if you had to look back and assess, or let's 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 let me ask you this. If someone was graduating school and they're like, Matt, I don't want to be the Matt from the first years in practice. I want to be the Matt of the last year. What would you tell them they should do? Hire Justin Wobinowitz. I like that. <laughs> well, what, what was it about? Was it just learning how to communicate better? Was it the mindset shift? Like, where do you think that the change happened? Man, I think my, if, yeah, if you want to bring up mindset, I think that's like a huge part of it too. You know, what, what about that? Well, I mean, when, when you're around other people that have done it and are doing it, it just shows you that it can be done. And I think in the past, um, you know, you have the vision of maybe what you want your practice to be and what you want it to look like. And, and sometimes in order to get there, the road is hard. You know, you have, you know, you have good weeks, you have bad weeks, you have good months, you have bad months, you might have you know, good quarters and bad quarters. But again, I think it's all about keeping it in perspective. And that's one thing that, you know, you've really helped me with is, okay, yeah, last week was, wasn't great, but, you know, you got five new patients on the schedule this week and you could potentially make, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000. Like where's the downside to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, um, you mentioned knowing it's possible. And I've always said my mentor and in, in the mentor in my life, uh, Paul Goff, who's taught me the most was just that, right? Showing me what was possible. I didn't really know. I didn't know anything, but like watching what he did and what he has done, it was always in a positive way, sort of like chasing someone because it, I would look at him and say, well, if he can do it, why can't I? And so I think that, you know, one of the things now in the mastermind group is that I'm just bullish on people showing up live for the calls. They just, you know, 12 to two on Thursdays, it's like an appointment for just that, because I want the people, yeah, I'll speak and I'll give information and I, and I hope it's useful. But the reality is I purposely spend a lot of time asking people for the success that they've had, because there's a lot of us that we need permission to be successful. And the, one of the ways to get permission is to see others that have done it. And the reality is we should look at them and say, all right, maybe he does some things better than I do, but not that much. If he can do it, man, why can't I? And I think just sometimes knowing that there is that it is possible that someone else can do it. For some people, it motivates them. For some people, it pisses them off. But about it, a lot of times, either way, it gives them the same 
you know, gives them the same, uh, gives them the same, you know, outcome, which is what we want. Right. And so sometimes it sort of forces us to stretch our thinking a little bit, right? Like I remember when I started a charging, when I was charged at 60 bucks or whatever, and I just didn't know, right. I just kind of came from a place that was charging a little bit more than that. And I was new. So I started by doing less. And when I got into the business groups that I was in, there were people that are like, whoa, they're charging double, triple, quadruple. It's like, how, how is that possible? But the fact that I knew it existed, I'm like, all right, like they're not that much better than me. And if they are, I can learn what they know. But it wasn't even about that. It was first about knowing it was possible. And it was about knowing that someone else could do it. And if they could do it, maybe not right now, maybe I don't have the skills today, but at some point, at some point I would be able to figure it out. And so, you know, I think that, you know, that's such a, that's such an interesting point. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, I, I think one of the interesting business conversations that we've had, because again, just another, that, that new grads, they'd be so valuable to hear this. You know, you've done what a lot of us have done at the start, which is open up a practice. You actually have a really big, nice office space in a gym, in a nice gym. And we've gone back and forth over times about, you know, when is it time to get a space? Should I get a space? Should I stay where I'm at? You know, how have you sort of thought about that in terms of staying staying put versus potentially looking outside? And, you know, again, what advice would you have for someone that's just getting started on have a standalone facility versus in a gym? You know, what are some of the positives and negatives? Oof. Um, I mean, I guess like, yeah, where I'm at now, you know, I'm lucky enough that, uh, I, I basically practice in the area that I grew up in. So I have, um, a lot of friends that have stayed in the area. So the place that I'm space that I'm renting right now is in a friend of mine's gym who I went to high school with. Um, so, you know, again, I'm lucky enough. I can use any of the equipment. I, I need if I'm working with patients or progressing them from more of like a rehab corrective exercise phase to a more performance phase. Um, you know, we can do all kinds of stuff out there and, you know, eventually I'd like to have my own facility cause I'm going to kind of <clears throat> niche down and have more of a golf performance center. And, you know, in looking for a space, that's definitely something that I'm, no, I wouldn't say that I'm actively doing, but I do just kind of check and see what's out there um, from a retail perspective. But, you know, we've talked about having the, um, having like the right tools in order to do that. So, you know, if I'm moving into a bigger space, I need to have a, um, like an admin, which I just hired a couple months ago help with calls and scheduling and, you know, potentially doing, you know, like a little bit of outreach with patients as concerns may come up and then eventually hiring an associate. So again, I'm not the one doing all the treatment, but can spend time in, in thinking about how the practice can continue to grow and how it can stay afloat. Good. Um, so you mentioned the, the golf niche, um, but again, I think this is a higher level business concept that uh, we should definitely consider because it's something that I never really thought about until um, until way later on. But so we know that you want to potentially do golf performance, which includes, you know, a simulator and all the, the bells and whistles in that golf world. And most people that would go on Instagram would go online and look at some motivational quote and say, screw it, follow your dreams. 
AKA go sign a five-year lease for a 3,000 square foot facility, go spend 50 grand on golf simulator equipment, build it and hope that people show up. Right. Whereas the conversations that you and I have had is like, hold on, let's back off a second, right? In the current situation that we're in, how can we do the best, give ourselves the best possible shot to make sure that when we go and take that step, that leap into that golf facility, that we're pretty damn sure it's going to work out, right? Proof of concept, making the contacts, having a, a having that built niche already. And so the thing that you know I encouraged for you, and this is great for the listeners out there, is before you go and take that big leap, before you go and invest that money or take a business loan doing all that, which is fine, let's just kind of try to get the boat a little closer to the dock first. Now you're making inroads in the golf community. You're, you have instructors that you're making contacts with. You're playing golf with a lot of more, more people in the area that you know have friends that play golf, obviously. You have golf performance clients coming into your current office and you're getting them results. And so if we can do that over a period of time and continue to let the snowball roll downhill, then I'm significantly more comfortable with doing, taking the leap of faith and getting the next facility and building the, uh, and building the golf performance facility. But I, again, I'd want to know, have a really good chance, a really good shot to know that it would work before I actually did it. And so if you think about it, right, I, I'm in the same position in this coaching business. Now it's a little different in that the asset is, is different, but it's the same premise. So your, the risk on, on your end to go and build the next facility is the, the, the asset that you're risking is financial. It's also time because you have to go build it out, but it's a lot of, it's money. In my world, when I'm doing the coaching business, the biggest risk I had in the beginning was that I would spend a lot of time doing it and there wouldn't be an audience for it and it wouldn't work. And then at that point, I've wasted three, six, nine, 12, 18 months pursuing something that the market doesn't ready for, doesn't want, I'm not good at or something like that. And so I've set the rest of my businesses back potentially because I made a bad strategic decision. And so the first thing I did to launch this business was basically the same advice that I gave you just in a different context was like, can I launch a mastermind class that's going to, that's going to be two hours a week of my time that I prepare for, for a certain amount of time that can just let me know if this is, if this works or not before I worried about traveling the country or building out the infusion soft or hiring a team member or putting on an event, all these other things that would have been a huge risk for me that I had no idea if it was going to work. And so when I did that, it seemed to work and we put it on and people liked the message that gave me confidence and also gave me as sort of an investor in the business say, yeah, yeah, this will work. This seems like we've got something here. If I double, triple down on it, it seems like this could be something. But again, the first thing was actually to test it, was actually to test it, to put something in place, which is exactly what you're doing, which is exactly what you're doing. And so I just encouraged the audience out there, whether, whether you are in practice and maybe are thinking about a niche or, you know, let's say you're in a gym right now and you wanted to get a 2,000 square foot facility with four treatment rooms. Well, you better have a marketing system in place to fill those four treatment rooms. Right. One of my patients today was talking about, um, he's a business guy. He was saying, imagine if you had eight treatment rooms in here and they were mostly empty. I was like, well, that would be a bad plan. But, but a lot of people have that, right? They get the big office and they have no plan to fill it. Yeah. And at that point, like, 
if we have no plan to fill it, then there's no reason for us to move. Like you should just stay where you're at. It's significantly cheaper. It's very profitable. It's less stress. Um, and so we should just do that. But people just don't think that way. They think that just the next step is to get a bigger office. And it's like, well, not really. It doesn't have to be. It's not a, it isn't a natural progression unless you have a goal of growth. Right. So, you know, good. that's a really interesting point. Um, that uh, I think is a, is a good conversation piece. So I always ask people, you know, you said revenue was one of your big wins in the last 12 months. It sounds like communication. And then now we have a clear idea, which I know you're excited about pursuing this golf niche, which I think is going to be huge. Um, go back over the last year and all that you've done and what are something that's been really challenging or a loss for you? Challenging or a loss? I mean, I think the business in and of itself is always challenging. Um, even, even with the mastermind and the mentorship, it's always challenging. Um, I don't know if I've necessarily had, there, a loss, you know, well, I think are there certain, just, are there certain things that, you know, now that you sort of have a better understanding of business, you know, like two years in that it's like almost before you got going, you didn't know what you didn't know. And now you're like, yeah, if I would have kind of known this before I would have prepared a little better or studied a little more. Is there anything like that? Yeah, I was just, um, I was just going to say, you know, even though it's challenging, um, I think being in this mentorship though is like, it has better prepared me for the challenges so that, you know, I'm kind of, um, better prepared if there's something that I don't anticipate, at least I've thought about the scenario of like a, a bad outcome or a slow month or a slow quarter. I've prepared for that. And if it happens, I'm not really worried about it. Like it, yeah, it sucks, but I'm not going to, you know, ram my head into the wall and think like, Oh my God, I'm failing. I just know that maybe that quarter is always going to be slower than other ones, but the quarters before and after are always going to be more successful. And, you know, I think business in and of itself can always be scary, but, Anytime you have a plan in place and you just stick to that and follow it. And if you need to make adjustments, you know, you have people that you can fall back on and, you know, just reassure you that even though in the moment it might feel scary or it might feel like you're failing, it's really not. It's just, you know, it's just a glimpse in time. Good. Excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, generally my take on you is you're rel- you have a pretty calm demeanor in general right and so that i think is helpful um as a business owner where some people are always like you know they they're always nervous and scared but even with that as a pretty calm guy you still you know get nervous and sometimes think the world is falling and it's like the roller coaster of being a business owner you know and, and it i guess it's one of those things that you it's you hear it like someone'll hear it but you don't know until you're going through it type of thing right yeah. Um, and it's kind of hard to prepare for until you, until you go through it. Okay, cool. So, um, let's talk about what's next. So we mentioned this golf thing. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're a, you're a pretty good golfer as is allegedly you beat a NFL quarterback in a match a few weeks ago. We'll mention he'll remain nameless. Um, so you have a passion for golf. Was this always something that you wanted to do or is it just more of a recent, um, idea that I like to play and maybe I can make it a business? Uh, you know, starting off, no, this wasn't uh, something that I saw myself doing. But uh, again, just to relate back to the group and 
the mentorship. Um, it's just given me insight to, to things that are out there that, you know, aren't being offered to, to people in the area. And again, yeah, golf's a, a big passion of mine. I, I love to play. And when I get patients in that are golfers, um, you know, it's just easier to connect with them because you speak the same language, you know, you talk about similar things and the, the understanding's just there. So when they see that you're passionate about it, obviously it, it drives like their passion about it. And it also just drives their, um, their trust in you and like, well, shoot, this guy is able to do this at his age. I'm only, you know, a few years older than him and I can't even bend down and touch my toes. You know, what, what is he doing that I'm not doing or, and what is he doing that I could certainly do? Um, Cause it's not like I'm anything special. I just, you know, I, I practice enough and I play enough to where I can shoot relatively well. Mm-hmm. Good. So tell us what is the vision? Like, I know you mentioned golf performance but right now. You're a, you know, you're rehab Cairo, you rent a room in a gym and you have a very solid practice that's highly profitable. But yeah. when you say develop a golf performance facility, what does that mean to you? I mean, I'd like to have a, a center, you know, where it's again, kind of like an open gym setting. Um, couple of rooms there where I could have, you know, some treatment areas, maybe offer a few other modalities like cryo or sauna or something like that. Um, and, and have people eventually like be brought into the practice where, you know, they're taking clients and patients through assessments, evaluations, and being put on a plan of care. Um, you know, there's certainly gyms in the area, but Nobody really does any of the golf fitness, golf performance stuff. And there's a number of public and private courses in the area and a number of people that love the game. So I just see it as a, as an opportunity that nobody's really taken yet in the area. And it, it's something that, again, because it's a passion of mine, I know that if I just stay the course that it'll happen one day. Good. I love it. Awesome. Um, so if someone's listening to this and they're on the fence or they've heard the podcast and they're thinking about potentially joining, um, what would you say to them? The mastermind. Listen to what your gut tells you and just do it. Good. Nice and simple, huh? I mean, really that's all you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, I don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, I, like you said, I have the clinical stuff down. I think relatively well, there's still, like more courses that I'd love to take and I'm scheduled to take, but I mean, this stuff here is invaluable. You know, we just, we never learned this in school. Um, and there's other, you know, there's other masterminds out there. Sure. But I think being in a setting of like-minded people, it, for me, it inspires me because I'm a competitive person. So if I see that somebody else is doing something like, not that I want to beat them because I want to rub it in their face, but I just want to, know that I'm doing all that I can and not be sitting on the sidelines thinking like, man, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. And, and I have a direction. I have guidance of like where to focus my efforts at instead of running around haphazardly think that I'm doing the best that I can with no results when I, my attentions could be better focused elsewhere. Beautiful. Matt, you did a fantastic job um, for the Thank audience. You. 
Yeah, you did great. For the audience out there, um, tell them where they could find you. Uh, so the name of my practice is Dynamic Integration Sports Medicine. Again, I'm in Sterling, Virginia. Um, you know, if you ever want to reach out, you can message me on Instagram. Um, try to get to you as soon as I can. Beautiful. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Thank you for everything, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, The Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strive to move.com. And four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you. Thank you.